Welcome to the Friends for Life podcast. My name is Lisa Anderson. And I'm Mackie Alston. And we are beloved friends and co-conspirators interviewing other friends and co-conspirators. Thanks for being with us as we explore the ways in which friendship helps us create a world of love and justice. So welcome, friends. This is the fourth episode of our second season of Friends for Life. And today, today we are delighted to welcome Melvin Bray and Sharon Groves. So um, Melvin is an Emmy Award winning storyteller. I love that Emmy Award winning. And social entrepreneur. He lives and he gardens with his wife and his three kids and two dogs in Southwest uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So we are neighbors. Atlanta, I mean, um, Melvin is a student of how societal myths aid or block desired political outcomes. Wow, that's pretty intense. And as such, he is the author of Better, Waking Up to Who We Could Be, which demonstrates how our social and sacred narratives can either promote or subvert beloved community. Um, As a social entrepreneur, Melvin works to help communities of goodwill find better stories and scripts, better ways of thinking and doing that move them toward equity, diversity, and inclusion. Dr. Sharon Groves has been working with Auburn for seven years as our Vice President for Partner Engagement. Uh, Sharon's work is to engage with movements, leaders, and organizations doing justice work grounded in faith and moral courage. Before coming to Auburn, Sharon served as the Director of the Religion and Faith Program at Human Rights Campaign, HRC, for the better part of 10 years. Uh, At HRC, Sharon oversaw statewide faith organizing efforts in Oregon, Illinois, Rhode Island, Maine, Maryland, and Washington State. It's in that work that we came to know each other, Sharon, and that work changed my life, changed Mm -hmm. this country, changed our movements, and uh, that's where we fell in love. Mm -hmm. Sharon's home is in Washington, D.C., where she lives with her spouse, Anne, and her very mischievous puppy yo-yo <laughs> yeah so though i love the official introductions because people get very impressed by the folks that we know but what i can tell you <laughs> about melvin and sharon is they're just longtime beloveds longtime beloveds and so we are so delighted to have you with us um let's just talk my friends let's just talk we start off always with something embodied so Um, In that spirit, what is delighting your senses these days? Pick any sense that you like, taste, sight, sound, whatever sense, and just where are you finding delight? Melvin, let's start with you. Um, I have really enjoyed stepping out on my front porch and standing in the sun. Mm-hmm. and just feeling the the warmth of it all over my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been longing for spring. I'm a summer baby. So, you know, hot can't get here fast enough for me. Um, and plus, I love to grow things. like And so, so you know, I, I want to put some things in the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it, you know, uh, spring has been a little tease this year, right? Like she'll mm-hmm. come out for two or three days and then she goes back and so on and so forth. And but the the gift has been uh, just just whether whether it's warm or not, 
when the sun comes out and I'm able to stand on the porch and 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 and, and can just feel it on my face. Oh my God. Mm. It is life. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. What about you, Sharon? What is delighting your senses these days? Well, all of you are, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um I I have, you know, I love people and so I'm a little bit of a chameleon. So it's who I'm with, I love the things that they love. So like if I'm with Mackie, it's like, let's try those wines, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever you're trying, I want to try and I want to understand how you taste that. When Mm -hmm. I'm with Lisa and I'm with you, it's like, let's get at the Prosecco and the right amount of grapefruit juice. (laughs) And like Melman and I talk forever about gardens and like what's growing. But so I kind of want to say something about one of my a really dear friend of mine that I've been thinking about in terms of senses um, and almost kind of want to dedicate this to her because mm-hmm. her name's Donna Payne and I probably learned more about organizing from her than anybody. And um, she had this thing where she would have, like Lisa, you know this story, but she, um, for her birthday, she would get what we called the Oprah cake because oh, <laughs> Oprah had this favorite uh, caramel cake that came from, I think it's called Carolina Bakery or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it comes in this big fan. It's a huge cake it comes in this big fancy box, like at the tin, it's seven layers, very, very thin with caramel between each layer. And you knew that you were loved by Donna because mm-hmm. if you were one of the few that she would actually offer a piece of her Donna, her cake on her Ooh. birthday, you would get for herself. Mm-hmm. And um, recently, just a couple weeks ago, her mother died in her sleep. And, um, and she, it's just been a very, very hard, hard month, hard couple of weeks. I got her the, the Oprah cake and it was just, we've had the most transformative conversations because there is something about that power of just recognizing mm-hmm. that thing that mm-hmm. somebody loves so much. Mm-hmm. And even in that, in that, that time of deep grief to recognize that piece. So anyhow, so I've been thinking about that incredible caramel yeah. cake in that tin. <laughs> mm. Oh God, I love mm. both of those responses. Mm. Mm. First of all, because I can taste the cake because Sharon, you've sent me that cake. <laughs> and and, and it, it's, it's an amazing cake. And, and then just the, like, I can feel the, I can feel the, the, the heat and the, and the love in just that exchange right there. Um, and so y'all have been friends for a good long time, a good long time. You know, how did you get to, how did you get here? How'd you become friends? What is this relationship? And for those, because folks can't see us, y'all mirror Mackie and me in a way, right? Because we're doing friendship across race, right? And y'all are doing friendship across race. And, and I know there's more and it's, there's a lot of depth in that. Um, So just across gender and across gender all the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just, just reflect for us a little bit about, you know, how'd you get here? What has becoming friends been like for y'all? Well, I think we, we met at Mountaintop, the first one. And I remember just kind of walking into that and we didn't know each other and we started talking. And at that point you were doing, um, I think some, some 
sustainable gardening work with young folks. I remember that. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I don't Sharon, remember like- Sharon, will you just share what, what's Mountaintop? Oh yeah, sorry. So <laughs> Mountaintop is this amazing gathering that now um, um, at this point is run by Lisa, which yeah. is uh, based on bringing movement leaders together um, that are spirit rooted in their work to be able to learn from one another. And we've done, we've done three of these. We're moving to our fourth. Um, mm -hmm. And this, like all of us have been deeply involved in, in that and what that means. And it's kind of the best of what I think Auburn has to offer because it really brings people together that have been working really deeply in their spaces to be able to connect with one another and learn strategies from one another. Um, and so this, it, and it's, it's evolved over the years, but this first one, which I think Mackie, you helped to kind of get that one off the ground. Um, we didn't know what we were getting into. We were all kind of, where were we? <laughs> we were in Nashville. Yeah. So what is this thing? I wasn't at Auburn then. I was just one of the people invited in like Melvin. And um, that was the beginning. And then I don't remember, how, like, what was our first, we, and we did all this work together, but what happened after that, Melvin? I think my offering to this is that our friendship snuck up on me. We met at a time when, um, you know, so most of, much of my work in the world has been across uh, racial, across racial lines. And, and, um, and uh, I was involved with a, with a project that was like the fastest growing progressive festival in the country at the time. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, working across racial lines and doing other work, um, a part of a, a, a project that was about uh, what, what the church will be in the future and so on and so forth across racial lines. And, and uh, I was kind of burned out. On it. I was spent. Working across racial lines, having uh, being committed to friendships across racial lines does not come without a cost, right? Like um, it, 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 is, it is labor in some ways that are both beautiful and exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, and so, so you know, I'm, I, I, I had, we, Sharon, you and I met at the time when I had decided, you know what, woo, I need a break. I need to step away. I need to, you know, I was really digging, digging, digging. Uh, uh, you know, I, I went to a historically black high school, a historically black college. I was digging this, this, this notion of, you know, going home and just being loved on by your people. With that in mind, right? Like our our interaction and our and our relating, you know, we both are afflicted with the same need to uh, be friendly right? Need to be relational, need to make the most of a, of a situation. And so the fact that we were kept being thrown together or kept working together and, 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 and because of this, like we, we would end up talking for hours and we would end up just loving on each other. We would end up disclosing with one another. We, you know, all of a sudden this thing that, that I was not trying to have was there and I had to acknowledge it. And I was mad at friends who, 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 would, who were acknowledging it before me, right? <laughs> like before I was like, what in the world? And so now, you know, it, it, it is such a gift to know or to have learned from that when we keep ourselves open 
we get what we need. Even when we think we need something else, and even when we do need something else, we, we make possible, by keeping ourselves open, we make possible for the thing we didn't know we need as well. I love it. Y'all speak in, um, in like quotables. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, we have this, um, you know, kind of agenda free, agenda adjacent kind of conversations that have emerged and maybe that even happened, Melvin, before we started working together. We've done a lot of work projects together, but we have this, um, it's very countercultural, actually. It's this, this, we will check in and sometimes those conversations will literally go on for three hours. I think we've like clocked it at four. Yeah, like, like we, we apologize <laughs> to our spouses about then and, and go right, on. Yeah. Ed rolls her eyes. It's like, oh, Sharon's in a Melvin conversation. All right, I'll like, you know, I'll just have my own dinner. <laughs> um, but it's kind of there's an usually some sort of an agenda, but it the agenda kind of gets it's it gets sort of like embedded in, but we just kind of come at we get at all the stuff. We do a whole lot of unpacking. And that's like the joy in this friendship. It's really, it's really deep around that. And it can start in something completely shallow and then it can go really deep and then it can kind of like take a twist and a turn. And um, it's just been a really surprising journey. So that sense of like being, you know, sort of it, like it just kind of comes up at you. Like, you, like what was the starting point isn't it is interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is interesting hearing you talk about this um, because um, I think about the, the way that the relationships have uh, been so important with the, with the co-leaders that I work with in the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle. And there's a similarity to a depth of engagement around I love the thing about agenda free and agenda adjacent. It's mm -hmm. it's like there's mm -hmm. this there's this way in which we have to be in each other's lives at a certain level in order to really be able to um, to get to the place where we're unpacking the depth of the of the work that we care about, of the world that we want to see. Those two things come together. I don't think a lot of people get a sense of talking about you know, really getting a chance to look into what that is. You know, like we say a lot about relationships, relationships matter. Um, but to see that texture, to know that the texture of it is, I'm getting in it with you. Mm -hmm. You know. I love that idea. And we've said it before, that in healthy relationship, in loving relationship, mutually loving, we're practicing the world as it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, but the truth, of course, we know is, yes, we, we can get what we want or need, but we also get hurt. Yeah. In other words, friendship makes life bearable, but it's also a challenge, full of challenge. And I know that you all have spent a good amount of time on this issue of accountability which is sort of a buzzword now, but let's go in on that. What does accountability mean in the context of your friendship? And then how does that help you in regard to your work? So for, 
me, um, our friendship actually helped to flesh out what was essential in, in, in this work around accountability that we do. Because of course, like when I think of accountability, I think of, you know, someone requiring something of me. And my mind immediately goes back to my beloved Aunt Barbara, who we lost in 2018 um, to, to, to kidney failure. And um, when I was growing up, my Aunt Barbara, man, I thought, I mean, she was just, I, she, she just rode me like I, <laughs> I was a rocking horse or something, right? Like, I, I mean, just like on my back. And I, I remember asking a, a, a buddy of mine I grew up with, like, what, does she not like me? What is it? I mean, like, what is it, right? But I came to understand as I matured, right? Like the seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy, not understanding, came to understand that she loved me as much as life itself. Like she rode me because she saw something in me that was worth polishing up and refining and, 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 and make it. And so with her, I learned that, that I learned that I needed, that it wasn't enough just to show up. You need to show up as your best self if you can, right? Like, like she was the one that brought that out of me that, that said, you know, that, 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 you know, life needs require some things of us and so this is this is this is what 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 she gave me oh my goodness so that is my frame of reference for accountability what i learned which sharon which is equally as important and you know goes back to that same relationship but what i learned from her is that accountability also includes belonging that if you're going to be accountable, one of the reasons we stay committed to relationships that are either not healthy for us or not healthy for others, right? Like that, that, that actually make, make the world worse, you know, make other people's situations worse. One of the reasons we'll stay in relationship to people who are running roughshod over other people is because we feel this sense of belonging. And, 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 and the idea of breaking up with them then puts us alone, adrift, swinging in the wind. And, 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 and you know, so some of this, the, the work, this organizing work, this work of equity and making the world new is wrapped up into creating spaces where people can belong with, uh, you know, Resma, Resma uh, uh, talks about it uh, as, better things to belong to and better ways to belong. And I learned that in relationship with Sharon. I love that. Um, I, like, I think I've had a real journey around accountability with Melvin. And I started, you know, just to be really honest, I, I just sort of said, Melvin, I need you to be my accountability partner, period. Like, cause I was recognizing that this shift that was happening at Auburn around moving as a historically white institution to an institution that was moving in a direction of being um, 
uh, like more, more multiracial and particularly more multiracial in terms of leadership. And so early on, I'm like, I need to, I need people in my life because I can't do this work myself that can let me know, am I, like, am I an asset in this space? Am I doing the work that needs to be done? Um, am I like, am I getting in my own way? Can we talk that through? So I started out with, you know, I like kind of like had three people in mind and Melvin was probably primary in that around who am I gonna, who am I, who am I gonna check in with about how am I doing that in this space as a white leader at an institution that's trying to change and to ensure that I wasn't getting in the way, but actually helping to make space, right? For the transformation that needs to happen. Um, what has been interesting in this work and you know and, and now we're doing i think i think we've kind of landed on something pretty pretty special around these kind of accountability circles which we've been doing together but what has you know some of the things that we've been talking about and what's kind of shifted or deepened for for me in particular is to begin to think about um accountability around this this tenor of belonging but also there is this tension between we need to do something to be better for the people in our lives and for the people that have been left out of the conversations. We have to, like, we, we need to do some transformation for others, right? Like, so there is this, what are you gonna do? Who are you gonna be accountable to? And that is, it's, it's, it's in relationship with this other question about what is in my gorgeous self that I want people to hold me accountable to, you know, what is that deep piece of who I am at my very best, who I want to be in the world and like, and recognizing that all of us have that. And so there's like, there's this dance between those two ways of thinking. And that is often our conversation, right? Like we really like kind of try to play that out. And sometimes I will fall into more of a kind of what do I want to say? I'll give a pass to people that are acting badly. And Melvin's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to play that because when you do that, who, who's, who's not seen in this scenario, right? And so we talk that stuff through so that we're actually getting at this piece of deep belonging in that sense of we belong, like we are responsible for what we put out in the world and we are beloved in our own selves and trying like, so that's kind of a lot of where we go with this belonging question or this accountability question. Yeah, I love the, the idea of getting to be our best selves inside of accountability and belonging, which is a different take than, you know, the accountability responsibility frame can often um, emerge for people out of guilt and shame. Um, and this is a different ask that you seem to be putting out there of yourselves and communities. So this is one of the things I love most about Cher. Um, and that is her willingness to risk in these ways. And, you know, one of the things I needed in cross-racial relationship um, because I hadn't I hadn't been able to participate in it before, and I didn't know until until Sharon and I became friends, was this need, this need to risk something, and for the trust to be built on that risking, 
that a person made for someone other than themselves, for something other than their self, their own self-interest, for something other than 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 the 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 power dynamics, the power arrangements as they exist, right? Like so that 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 is it it is that that we then turn into this ask where we're saying, hey, we all say we want better. You know, I say it in my in 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 in, in, in particularly um as it relates to to gender and the ways I treat 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 my my beloved in the ways I, I I treat my daughters in the ways I want to want want to 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 raise my son right uh to to show up in the world as a man um and, and we all say we want better but then you know who holds us to actual better it's easy for me to say to say to 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 my beloveds, hey, if, if if there's something you need to tell me, you need to tell me. But there's all kinds of power dynamics in that thing. There's all kinds of the reasons why that becomes an impossible task, and 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 and, and, and a burden on them. So who holds us to that, right? So then, okay, what does it mean to be in in community with a circle of folk? who are saying, hey, we want to be better in this, it, towards this same direction. But in order to do that, you're going to have to risk some things. You're going to have to show up differently. You're going to have to hold yourself accountable. Sometimes, sometimes this is just kind of the, 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 the supportiveness, but sometimes this is the confrontation. Are you good with that? Are you good with, with having, having someone hold up a mirror to you and not taking it down just because you did that thing that you do where you buck back and then most people leave you alone about, about a thing that you need to actually face, right? Like this, and so that's been the return gift from Sharon because she's teaching me how to risk in those ways and how to be receptive in those ways in our friendship. Mm. I mean, it, it's really interesting how how this is working out because I um, Melvin makes me risk all the time, and we're all deep friends on this call. Mackie makes me risk all the time, and Lisa does too. But one of the ways that Melvin, one one of the interesting things that Melvin will do is that I will fall into being background and support really fast, um, and like to be that person that's kind of like the smart kid in the room, but not <laughs> responsible for holding the space. And Melvin forces me to be like, okay, now you're going to actually do this thing. You're going to, you're going to actually speak on this. You're going to have to show up vulnerable. And because we know each other really well, sometimes that means showing up vulnerable doesn't just mean talking about all the ways in which you screwed up, it might actually be talking about some of the successes. It might actually be like a little bit more powerful in the way in which you're presenting a thing, right? Like, so it's a, it's a very interesting kind of very uh, nuanced way in which we're really kind of holding each other accountable to our own growth. And one of the things that we've had to, cause we've been doing a lot of work together for a while now, that we've navigated is some real doozy conversations with people where Melvin as a lead, as a black straight man, is not <laughs> working with people. It's like, do you remember the one we did with Planned Parenthood? 
And it's like, in, and Melvin used a sports analogy and the whole room just turned against them instantly. And so we have to like, what's going on? What's underneath all of this? What is in this thing? And so we're watching so often the way in which race and gender show up in how like we naturally show up, Melvin naturally shows up to be in the front of the room. You're like conditioned for that. And then like, like what is the, what are the ways of resisting that, of, of moving, like moving adjacent to that, like seeing that as a gift, but also trying to move away from it, making space. And I'm conditioned to be support. And like, what are the ways in which I need to kind of move more in the center or like, or what does that look like? Right. And um, with, so we are always in conversation about the way these dynamics show up inside of this question of accountability and growth. Mm -hmm. And I think about like accountability, friendship, all like I, all of these ideas that we have that are so powerful as, as verbs, as opposed to nouns. So it's always kind of what, you know, how is, how's growth happening inside of these categories? How are we shifting in relationship to them? Yeah. Y'all, yeah. I want to ask you a question because this is happening in my body right now. And I, I know, you know, as I say this, what's coming. I'm, I was really taken by that notion of the relationships that make the world worse and how that's a real thing. And I think in uh, relationships in which power is distributed differently through our systems and as we're formed, there's suspicion. There's suspicion in us, rightly so, and there's suspicion of us. So can you all tell a story that helps you know that in the end, yours is not a relationship that makes the world worse, that it's not some kind of betrayal of your people to be in love with each other like you are. Mm. I can tell one, I, can, I have two stories. I'll start with one that just happened. We're doing this work with four different leaders of state groups of LGBT, LGBT state leaders in, in red states. So it's Arizona, Wyoming, North Carolina, and Florida. And the, the, the lead person for the person in this group from Wyoming recently had a death threat against her. Um, and it was really serious. Um, and her child came in her room crying. It was just very, it's a very, very, very scary, hard moment. And she wrote to the small group that we're in. This was not part of our regular accountability circle. It was just, she wrote this separately and told the story. And then the flood of love that came back to her was really powerful. And I think in particular, I mean, this is one of the things like you have Melvin as a friend and you've got a gift for life. I mean, it's just a really deep thing to be in Melvin's circle because what Melvin did in that space was he didn't just say, oh, we're thinking about you. You know, we love you. What can we do? He said, tell me the names of your two children. Tell me how old they are. Me, um, my babies and I are going to pray for them. It was so powerful, like just the way of kind of really getting very 
specific about who are you in the world? Who are, who are your people? What's your, what's your, how's, what's your husband's reaction? How is he doing? And we are going to, in my family, pray for you. And to me, that just kind of summed up like this sense of, of, you know, this deep feeling of like this deep need for belonging and the way that friendship is building and, and the, like this core idea of friendship because Melvin and Sarah don't know each other well, this is a relatively new relationship, but there is a, something that is being built because of these like the values that are so core to what it means to be belonging and community to one another that I think is being is is an example of good in the world. Everything about that example. First of all, I recognize Melvin in that example. Nothing about that feels like really? Did he really do that? It feels like consistent. Um, but the question about values is, is what I heard, or the issue about like standing inside of these values as a way of knowing. I think of a story, we're going to gush on Melvin for, for a hot second. So I think of the story about when we were doing our second cohort at the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle, and we were going to the South, and we were going to a small bed and breakfast, and we're going with 10 black trans women. And we got the impression from the place that they were gonna be nice and accepting. But Melvin's like, oh no, we're gonna to have to get in the car. And at that time we were all living in New York or coming from all over the country. I'm getting in the car and I'm driving to the, to, to the place and I'm going to let them know that they've got people. We trust that they're good but they're gonna know that if they don't come correct, <laughs> my people got people. And that was, that was huge for, um, for our group, getting to this question of identities and bodies, you know, cis, straight, black male who says, I'm going, my sisters, this is, this is, these are my sisters. And it was confirmed that the folks were great at the, we're going to plug the James Madison in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was the fact of, they're going to know that folk got their back. Um, yeah, I just had to tell that story. I appreciate you all so much. I appreciate you because in many respects, I am learning to be that person from you. I had some great folk pour into me growing up. I had, had a wonderful um, mother, single mother, and great grandparents and, and, uh, and, and, you know, my father was in my life, even though my parents weren't together and, and he, a great guy. I was raised in a great church community that, uh, that loved on me, uh, sometimes even despite themselves. <laughs> um, so I have not been for loss of a sense of belonging. By the same token, 
that that belonging had its kind of limits, right? Like you, you had to show up in a particular kind of way in the world in order to be a part of some of those groups that that where I, where I found belonging. Um, and uh, so it, it's only in adulthood um, that my sense of siblingness has grown, right? Um, I was blessed to have a transgender cousin growing up who unfortunately because of our family dynamics could never show up as her true self. I did not know her as Cassandra, right? So I didn't have the benefit of working, working that stuff out early. Um, I, I, I've been always been blessed to have uh, queer queer friends, but but uh, again, who couldn't who couldn't own that quite often. And it wasn't it was only in adulthood where where they where where they were able to find themselves, and so so learning what it means to to love deeply across lines that of difference that i i was raised to believe kind of uh should be should be eternal lines right like 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 this these these is 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 a thing that makes that makes me better and i learned that from you so i learn how to show up i mean i i remember meeting mackie and 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 and, and lisa and just the effusiveness with which with which they show up in the world, <laughs> and you know, when I was young, the the joke if anybody showed up that way, you know that you were gay, right? Like so, That's I right. made it a point not to be <laughs> that guy, right? And so, so with my straight hetero cis normative self saying, no, 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 I need there's something beautiful in that. I need to somehow find that in me. I need to learn how to show up with that kind of love because I feel that. I need to learn how to give it. And so the, the opportunities like that text message are created by the example that you all have set. Um, and the opportunities like that time in Madison are created by the examples that you've set. And, and, and so I, I, you know, I thank you. And maybe this gets at something of what you're trying to get at, Mackie. But I, like, I, I'm gonna tell some uh, tell story on myself around our relationship. But I, like, I also belong to the effusive club, and I get really <laughs> excited about introducing people to people. Right? We were doing some work with somebody in the women's march who's a person of color, and it was just starting, and so. I do this introduction and I am sure I have done this about five or six times, maybe more than that. And I do this introduction of Melvin to this person, Norm. Um, and it's like, Melvin is so great and here's all the ways. Norm is so great and here's all the ways. And there was no consciousness that I had that I'm the white lady with like actually sort of the money for the project that we're doing that's doing this effusive, here, let me introduce you lovely people of color to one another. And <laughs> it was like, and I'm just like, I'm just in my kind of um, naivete doing this thing. And then Melvin tells me later, like, well, you know, Sharon, what I had to do was go and make the phone call after the phone call to like kind of connect the relationship to one another. So it was like, it was really a wonderful kind of 
consciousness um, opening for me of like how power works in relationships, even when you're like, it works when you're not aware of it and it works when you're aware of it, right? And there's probably like, they're underneath all of that. If I'm really honest, there was like, there is power in being able to be the one that gets to introduce people to each other. And then I was like, I was, I was using that power even as I love these people and wanted them to be together. And it was like, and that was sort of that, you know, cause I always just want to have the happy party. Right. So that's also been this piece around like the real preciousness and value of this relationship is being able to like have somebody that I can, we can, we can actually dive in and talk about, you know, when you did that, I had to go and do this. I had to kind of go back and do some extra work because you got to understand how you're showing up as the white funder. Just got to understand that. And so it's been, been this very, very fascinating relationship piece. But that's just an example, I think, of the ways in which if when there's not consciousness about how power is operating inside of a relationship that is... Um, of difference across race and across gender, that we make all kinds of mistakes all the time that can really be be very, very detrimental to our communities. Yeah. And to I, your question, Mackie, I mean, just, just to put a fine point on it, when I shared, my sharing that with Sharon was me honoring her risk by risking back. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, I what makes me feel like I'm not betraying my own is that when I, it was her reaction when I shared that. She didn't get defensive about it. She didn't, she didn't say, how dare you, right? Her reaction to it was to say, oh, is, is that an adjustment I need to make? How do I need to adjust in this place? And, and, and how do we, how do we then recognize when this, when, when this interaction that I'm brokering or helping to sponsor doesn't necessarily need to involve me, right? Like, how do I learn to trust you? You know, the friendship is strong enough where there's enough trust for her to say, okay, Melvin, I'm, I'm going to trust you to be in this interaction with this person that we're sponsoring uh, for this thing that we're sponsoring, even if I'm not in the center of it, even if I'm not the one making the decisions, even if I'm not the, right, I'm going to trust that it's, it, it's going, going to turn out because uh, you, because we're both working towards the same hopes and dreams. Yeah, this I love this, and the thing that we didn't speak into, but it's implicit in here. We said um, differences across race and class, orientation, and uh, oh, class. Class is what I don't think we really talked mm. about a lot in here, but it's kind of implicit in there because these issues around money, and mm-hmm. I would say the generational wealth question inside of race comes up inside of what you all were saying. Melvin has made such a difference in, in, in my thinking around what does it mean in our, in our movement work when we want the people that are closest to the ground to inform our work, which almost always means people that don't have institutional uh, privileges like health insurance, mm-hmm. retirement, any of those things, like a, 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 like a consistent paycheck, any of those things. 
but we want them to inform our work because they often have the flexibility and because they're not institutionally beholden, they're, they're in the spaces in a different kind of way. So we want them to inform everything we do, but we're not willing to figure out what it means to compensate them for that work and to be able to think around what is the table of belonging in in, in, in justice organization, in, in justice space? How do we like make that table different? And Melvin has been really amazing and sort of like, like vanguarding some of the thinking that, that we're starting to do. And Lisa, you and I have been talking about this a lot in terms of how we understand Auburn, how we, how we shift some of our ways of operating. It's really, but that, that gets at I think in part the way that class plays out in terms of doing work, class and power play out in terms of doing work in justice spaces. Yeah. I have had the benefit of uh, of the exposure of someone who is upper middle class. Um, and I've been able to show up in spaces where, where upper middle, middle class folk make decisions that actually impact the lives of folk who are not in the, those spaces um, and, and are invited into opportunities that other folk don't get to see. Um, I am a product of, 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 of uh, a parochial education, been in, in private schools all my life, right? Like, but the truth is that I grew up poor. You know, my mom had a, a really good government job that that when she when when uh, when she came into the church, uh, she gave up because you know the idea was you give up everything for the Lord, and so she became a literature evangelist, where she sold books door to door to try to introduce people to Christ. Now, I need you to understand the context in which this is happening. I came from a church where, where almost everyone who held, who, who held power was, was white. And those who were not owned businesses, just like, you know, some of them owned banks. Some of them were, 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 were owned nursing homes, right? Like, like, so this convincing of the poorest among you <laughs> to put yourself in this kind of compromised position, right? Um, was, was, I mean, it, it's one of the, it's, we are no worse for wear, my mother and I, but nonetheless, right? Like it made life harder, right? Still got to go to private school, still got to, you know, be in the, go visit the White House and do all the things and be here and travel abroad and all these kinds of things. I'm very conscious when I'm in these space, when, when I'm in spaces of opportunity and privilege that, that I'm, I'm somewhat of an imposter. Like I, I, I don't feel imposter, right? Like I don't, I don't think less of myself. I don't feel like I don't get to show up, but I am somewhat of an imposter because the assumption is that I'm, I'm functioning with all the same resourcing, right? And there have been times I've showed up in spaces with 50 bucks in the bank, waiting on, that, or waiting on that honorarium so I could catch, so I could get back, right? Right, like, so, I mean, this stuff is real. And, 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 and if we are going to do justice work in the world and we think we're gonna solve that in the world, how the heck are we gonna solve that in the world 
until we can solve it amongst ourselves within our own institutions that, that, that use justice as a label for this work. So, you know, I- Amen, amen, you are, yes. <laughs> Gosh, Melvin, yes. I had a very different upbringing where I went to only state schools, was brought up in an upper middle class academic family that chose places to live that were on the, that were affluent enough, but were on the edges of poor districts so that I ended up all of my schooling and, and it was in the Midwest was in fairly um, rough, schools like fairly fairly poor schools so it's interesting and i only have gone to state schools so it's like it's just been but have gone in those spaces as somebody that held more privilege than the friends that i had that were in that by far you know like like by a lot and so it's just interesting like these how these dynamics play out in terms of how we understand space how we understand each other um yeah, it's fascinating. And I remember, Melvin, we, you and I had a really rich conversation where um, when I was a kid, I had a lot of, of undiagnosed learning disabilities. And because I was in this academic family that prided um, academic, like a particular way of being smart um, mm -hmm. that I never felt like I had, but always had aspirations to be. Um, there was a way that I felt like I just kind of fell through cracks and there was never like I was not going to be that person that was going to go to the good schools and the good schools were sort of held out as really the only schools. Um, and the idea of not going to college was not even an option that was it, that that was part of that class dynamic that I grew up in so I just went down the street to Illinois State University and had so much shame around that for the longest time. But I remember Melvin, you and I talked about, I think it was your cousin that had some of those same, some of the same stuff, like some mm -hmm. of that, that just not being able to make it all come together and has had a, such a rough, rough life. Mm -hmm. And that what it looks like when, you know, when, when, when you have safety nets that kind of help yeah. you to kind yeah. of get through, yeah. it's, it's just really, really, really interesting to kind of like re reflect on, you know, who gets to have a troubled youth mm. <laughs> and who doesn't, mm. right? Mm. Mm. Y'all, I feel like we are in hour one, at the end of hour one of our four hour daily phone call, <laughs> which I want to keep faithful to. But for today, I just got to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting us dwell within the love you share and the trust and the truths. It's y'all are beautiful. And what you have together is beautiful. And it's not the first time I've beheld that fact. But today, uh, you really opened it up, not only for us, but for those who are tuning in. And I want to thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I completely agree. I could actually sit here and listen to you all for, for the next three hours. <laughs> and there's a little bit of suspense, like what's going to happen? And that's yeah. the power, right? Mm -hmm. Of real friendship that mm -hmm. what's it's, it's the growth is happening. Mm -hmm. The revelation, the yeah. loving it's mm -hmm. active. It's not mm -hmm. a thing you possess. Mm -hmm. 
it's something that's happening in you all and between and beyond and making the world a better place. So thank you. So one last question. Y'all know this one. What song is getting you through right now? <laughs> this is a gift to those who are tuning in, but also uh, just one more opportunity to remember that we have resources at our fingertips to make ourselves feel better in rough times, mm -hmm. on long days. Mm -hmm. I have been deep in two playlists, right? Like, so one is, um, is uh, the new album, Black Radio 3 by Robert Glasper. Um, and that first movement, which is actually three songs, um, that ends with this song called uh, Shine, where D Smoke is just, is, is storying himself to the world and saying, picture me, right? And, and just this, this, this litany of, of, of Afrofuturism, right? Like picture me as this, picture me as that, picture me as, you know, oh my God. <laughs> right like it is such a crescendo for me oh my goodness oh my goodness oh my goodness so so that, that those first three songs I, mm, I i i recommend those to anyone and then my other playlist that that that's just kind of deeply personal is one i've entitled heal not fix because of some 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 uh breakthroughs that uh i've recently had in being able to hear, to hear people's wounds and to respond to them, not as, not as accusations against me, but rather here, here's an opportunity to heal. Here's an opportunity to salve. Um, and so I've gone back to all of the NDRE albums and said, I knew this song was trying to teach me something. I knew this song was trying to teach me something. And I've snatched all these songs and put them together. So I, between those two, those fill my days. <laughs> okay, that's working for me. Oh, that's so gorgeous. Um, so one of the things that I have been trying to do is to, is to think about what are white authors, artists, activists, that we can look to for guidance if you're a white person that is not not to put them on some kind of pedestal but just to see that like change is possible and so david bowie's one of those for me and i kind of went back to um <laughs> this is on my this has been on my i have i've been running a lot and this is on my running list but i went back to changes um and when i was young i remember that song and i got so pumped up around like and these children that you spit on as they're trying to change their world. I actually spit when I said that. And when I let, I've been listening to it lately, I've been, I've been caught in, in the ways in which it's actually, uh, it, it's, it's actually ruminating on change in a sing, and, and, and actual self-revelation. And he's got this line, I wrote it down. So I turned myself to face me, but I never caught a glimpse of how the others must see the faker. I'm much too fast to take that test. And I, I think our work is to take that test, to slow it all down and look at ourselves, the faker and the not faker and the glorious. Mm. My God. You're gonna turn me into a David Bowie fan. What? Oh, you, you, you need to go there. You need to go there. <laughs> I love David Bowie. When I was a child, I love David Bowie because 
I saw that David Bowie was a freak in the best <laughs> way. And I knew that I was a freak, but I had no words for it. Mm. And seeing David Bowie um, made me see a part of myself. So I am totally with Sharon mm. and David Bowie. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to give you mine. Um, I have been listening to 1998 old school hip hop album by Most Def and Talib Kweli, yes. Black Star. Yes. That, that whole entire album is getting me through. But there is a line that Talib Kweli says, there is so much to life, he says, when you stay Black and die. Mm. So much to life when you stay black and die that's mm. Mm. so mm. that's what's getting me through um and i guess i have to give some credit to my hip-hop head brother because since i've been living here there's been <laughs> nothing playing in this house continuously except hip-hop but as long as i get into the consciousness hip-hop i'm, I'm there i'm there for it so most deaf and talib quality yeah. black star mm. so a little bit of effusiveness for me from from this corner, I don't know what's in the algorithms of Spotify to know just how gay I am, but this song came <laughs> up. This song came up uh, last night, and I couldn't believe it because it had found its home in my heart. Hold on, it's called "Here, Pretty Kitty," but something about that sound is just made me want to call ten people and say, "Have you heard this song? How could I be fifty six <laughs> year old and not have heard this song in my camp spirit?" All right, you guys, love y'all. Let's say bye bye. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next month as we continue to explore the ways in which friendship helps us to create a world of love and justice. We want to send you out with the words of Winnie the Pooh. If ever there is tomorrow when we're not together, there's something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. But the most important thing is, even if we're apart, I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. We'll always, always. We'll always be together.